And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 312. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin and a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. Welcome along to the show, everybody, as Avengers draws ever closer. You excited? I don't know if I can really say that I'm thrilled, excited, but I am definitely looking forward to seeing this movie. Is it just me or... Is there less hype built up around Avengers Infinity War Part 1 than there was around Thor Ragnarok or or even Black Panther? I'm not seeing as much hype about it. I don't know if that's purposeful. Maybe they don't think that it needs it, being a, you know, obviously one of the big blockbusters of the year. But it just seems odd. You know, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, um, we don't have a lot to talk about here at the top of the show. That's why I'm babbling about the Avengers. But uh, we do actually have an issue of Thor to cover. Hope you are enjoying our revisiting 1988. And that being said, let's move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. And this week we are looking at The Mighty Thor number 393. The cover date is July of 1988. Cover price is 75 cents. Cover art is by Ron Friends and Brett Breeding, our usual art team. And it's, the cover is separated in half. There's, there's, we've, we've seen this on Lee Kirby issues before, but it's kind of unusual to see uh, on a regular monthly book. But uh, we actually have the, the cover divided in half by an image of Thor's hammer and blazoned on the head of the hammer is the blaze of battle. And uh, so on the left-hand side, we have Thor and Quicksand and they are fighting on the grounds of this nuclear power plant. And Quicksand looks to have grown really, really big. So I don't know if that's actual, literally true or that's something that uh, just is for artistic purposes. And on the other half of the cover, we have Daredevil, who appeared at the end of last issue, fighting Hogan the Grim in the middle of the city, and they are uh, fighting on a big pile of rubble. All-out action in the breathtaking Marvel manner, says the cover. And if that's the case, this will be a very short review indeed. We open up to the splash page where we have the credits written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by Ron Friends, embellished by Brett Breeding, lettered by John Workman, colored by Max Scheel, and edited by Ralph Macchio. The Blaze of Battle is the title of the story, and we are picking up where we left off with Quicksand, who, remember, is like a female version of the Spider-Man villain, the Sandman, and she is blasting Thor in the face with sand. And we're getting uh, 
at the end of last issue, the idea that she's trying to uh, suffocate him uh, by blasting herself into his mouth, which is kind of kinky when you really kind of think about it. And um, so she's doing that and she's saying, it's all over, Thor. You're finished. You shouldn't have opposed me when I attacked this nuclear power plant. Now that I've managed to separate you from your precious hammer, it's only a matter of time before you strangle beneath my constant barrage of sand. Further struggle is useless. Quicksand has defeated you. Nay, woman, I say thee nay, says Thor. Even though he's got a mouth full of sand, he can still talk. No struggle is ever useless. Only despair leads to failure and defeat. And never will the son of Odin know despair. Never will he surrender. Seems to me that we've had you know, drama queen Thor in the past being pretty despairing, so that doesn't seem quite right. Anyway, she's continuing to try to thrust herself into his mouth, and he kind of falls down with a waboom, but he, there's a method to his madness here. He's actually trying to smash through the floor, which he does, and there's a waboom and a blash, and both he and Quicksand fall through the floor, and because, you know, it's a Marvel comic, she's thinking to herself, he completely shattered the cement floor. Must turn Sandy until the smoke clears. I lost him amid all the falling debris. Where is he? Where is he gone? Oh, no. No. And we see a hand thrusting up out of the wreckage and it's Thor's hand. And he has Mjolnir in his hand. And he's uh, saying, at last, I have regained my enchanted hammer. Mighty Mjolnir is mine once more. And he blasts a sort of fire or lightning blast into the air. And he shouts, show thyself, quicksand. Stand and face the mighty Thor, the god of thunder, and the warrior prince of eternal Asgard. Behold the unrelenting fury of my savage storm. Gaze in awe at my limitless power. And Thor's kind of laying it on thick here, I think. Quicksand is uh, thinking uh, to herself, Oh my gosh, he's far more dangerous than I ever realized. He must have been holding back, pulling his punches because I'm a woman. I dare not battle him now. I've got to escape through this air duct. Need time to think, to plan. And she turns into a stream of sand and goes whooshing into this air vent. And Thor is saying out loud, Retreat is futile, woman. Thou cannot escape the righteous wrath of the thunder god. And we see um, the, the people who Thor came with upstairs. So we have... Uh, um, Eric Masterson and uh, his friend, I forget or his name, Susan or something like that. And then we have uh, Jerry and the guy who's in charge of the um, nuclear power plant. They're kind of looking down this big hole. Stacy or Susan or whatever her name is saying. Jackie, that's her name. Sorry. <laughs> I had to remember uh, their name. They're, they're looking down and, and Jackie is saying, Eric, did you catch all that? I'd heard about Thor, read about him. But to actually see him in action, wow, he's quite impressive, Jackie. What happened to Quicksand? She is gone, says Thor, for the moment. But she will return and find Thor waiting. And we then shift scenes. We are back in Asgard. And there's, uh, you know, kind of, it looks like the Rainbow Bridge is regenerating. That's interesting. I mean, I didn't. I don't think of it that way. But it's sort of crackling on the end, like Kirby crackles, and maybe... I mean, it might have been just a, uh, you know, just a suggestion that you know, the bridge was broken. So, 
you know, it's still going away, but it could be also suggested that it's regenerating too. I seem to recall that the bridge was pretty smashed. Anyway, so we have uh, Volstagg and Fandral, and they are fighting invaders into uh, Asgard. Fandral shouting, Arise, ye noble warriors of eternal Asgard! Arise, ye gallant champions of the Golden Realm, says Volstagg, and strike down these banned and savage invaders! Be silent, you rotund oaf, says one of the bad guys. We attack in the name of Seth, the serpent god of death. Ah, Seth, we've seen him before, haven't we not? And we're going to be seeing him in the future as well. And his unrelenting wrath is far more terrifying than even your gargantuan girth. And somebody hits uh, Volstagg from behind with a thwack and knocks him over on his stomach. (laughs) In the process, smashing a couple of uh, Seth's soldiers here. What foul infamy is this? The valiant Volstagg hath been struck from behind. The invincible lion of Asgard has been felled by some treacherous jackal. Fear not, my friends, says Fendril. Thou hast accomplished far more in defeat than most warriors do in victory. Thy massive frame hath buried a dozen foes. And then uh, we see the, um, like a, it's like a car. <laughs> um, it's definitely very Kirby-ish. And it goes off and, um, Goes off through a boom tube, pretty much. And there's uh, like uh, some Kirby crackle and uh, Fandral saying, Behold, our enemies vanish as quickly and mysteriously as they appeared. We are no match for such foemen, says Felstog. No one can vanquish an army that can materialize and disappear at will. Take heart, comrades, says Fandral. Our beloved ruler, Balder the Brave, is already working on a plan to stop these surprise attacks. And we shift to um, Baldur's throne room, and we have a, a number of, um, of people here. We have Baldur, of course, and then we have the Enchantress, and she seems to be doing something wonky with, with Heimdall. Uh, Heimdall is sitting in a chair, and there's some sort of weird Kirby device on his head. Um, so um, the Enchantress is saying, Concentrate, Heimdall. You who can hear the beating of a butterfly's wings a thousand worlds away. Concentrate and allow my power to flow through you. And Baldur's thinking to himself, the Enchantress is using her sorcery to enhance Heimdall's already legendary senses so that he can locate the site of the next Egyptian onslaught. And a few minutes later it says, she goes, Well, I fear that we have failed, says Heimdall. Thou did try thy best, says Baldur. You do not understand, sire. Our plan should have worked. I should have been able to sense the presence of our enemies wherever they are. But I cannot. Some otherworldly force, a random element of incalculable power, must be masking them from me. Wait, who is this wild-eyed youth that so brashly bursts into our presence? And yeah, the wild-eyed youth uh, bursts into their presence. And uh, it turns out to be some guy named Valdor. And he says, I am Valdor, my lady, and I bring an urgent message for noble Baldur. The Grand Vizier requests his presence at once. So uh, we cut she we cut scenes to where uh, Baldur is bursting in on um, on the Vizier a few minutes later, and he says, "You sent for me, Vizier." Aye, sire. I fear the life of Hogan the Grim is in grave jeopardy. What? When I sent Hogan to the mortal plain in search of mighty Thor, I tied yon flame to his life force. Behold how it flickers and convulses. 
Hogan is obviously severely injured and engaged in battle, a desperate battle, one which may even claim his life. And we shift to the battle where Hogan is fighting Daredevil and we see him with a red boot in his face kicking him with a thwack. And uh, Daredevil is kind of, you know, being very acrobatic and doing what Daredevil does, basically. And he's uh, thinking to himself, gotta stop this maniac before he kills someone, namely me. Oh no, that sudden rush of air. He must be swinging his mace at me. And the uh, caption explains that he has uh, great agility and his heightened senses, so we get a little bit of exposition. I'm not going to read all that. And uh, Daredevil says, All right, mister, who are you, and why are you running amok in my city? Unbeknownst to the sightless swashbuckler, Hogan injured his head when he arrived on Earth, and his perceptions are severely distorted. And so we uh, get another view here of Hogan, and he's looking at Daredevil, but he's actually seeing this uh, demonic armored figure with this big old pitchfork, and uh, um, he's thinking to himself, "'Tis a hideous devil beast who stands before me. Silence, monster! Cease thy senseless gibbering! No time have I to waste with the likes of thee. I must find the mighty Thor." His people have dire need of him. And he takes his mace and he thwams the, uh, the top of the building they're standing on and knocks uh, lots of um, tile, looks like, uh, to a Daredevil. Looks like it's going to slice him in two, but Daredevil manages to dodge it. So um, he's thinking to himself, wow, this guy is a living powerhouse, but I'm not exactly defenseless either. And he uh, whips his baton at at uh, the ground, and it does this weird three-banking ricochet, and he uh, whacks Hogan in the head, and Hogan is going, Ugh, my baton moves as if it were alive, but no mere weapon can stop Hogan the Grim. I strike for the salvation of my people, an eternal Asgard. And he uh, whacks this uh, big old brick wall, which happens to be on this rooftop, and it topples in a very unnatural way. <laughs> um, like, like it's reaching out almost for Daredevil who looks like he's going to get buried in brick. And Daredevil's thinking to himself, this whole wall is coming down and there's no way I can avoid it. And we shift scenes and we are back at the nuclear power plant and Thor is uh, saying, hurry, we must find the one called Quicksand. Search everywhere. She must be nearby, planning her next attack. And Eric uh, Masterson says, uh, Hey, Thor, don't forget about Sigurd Jarlson. He disappeared when Quicksand invaded the plant, and we haven't seen him since. He could be hurt, dying. Jerry's like, Get a hold of yourself, Eric. I'm sure Sigurd's okay. And he's thinking to himself, Especially since I know that he and Thor are really the same person. Um, I don't remember that. But I think maybe he figured it out during the Simonson run. Not really sure. Anyway, he knows. And the uh, manager of the plant is coming up behind Thor here, and he says, uh, We can't let the newspapers get a hold of this story, Mr. Thor. The public must never learn that quicksand endangered our power plant. The bad publicity could cripple our chances of getting government approval to activate our nuclear reactor, and that would mean economic disaster. Be warned, mortal, says Thor. I look upon thy words with mounting displeasure. Lives are at stake, and you speak to me of mere monetary matters. Be thou ashamed, mortal. 
Thy race will never reach its full and grand potential while it is still mired amid such base and petty concerns. And we shift scenes to the, looks like the control room of the nuclear power plant. And uh, they're, the people are just kind of engaging in looks like routine maintenance and stuff. And they're just, just monitoring the dials. Not sure why, because the... Uh, the generator's not actually turned on, and the power plant is not actually live. But anyway, they're they're doing that, and they're wearing safety goggles and stuff, which is probably good because they're all getting a face full of sand. Uh, a torrent of sand erupts out of the air vent because that's where she went with a vroosh, and everyone's going, "What the? It's that quicksand creature. We've got to call security." And uh, she manages to um, knock them all out very, very quickly, probably by making them breathe sand. And, uh, and the quicksand is standing there in the control room. And uh, she says, The fools, they never had a chance. It was child's play for me to knock them all unconscious before they could sound the alarm. I'm going to have a big surprise waiting for them when they wake up. A very big surprise. And you get a close-up of her face looking kind of deranged. And we shift scenes back to Hogan and Daredevil. And Hogan is swung down from the uh, roof of the building. He's swinging on a flagpole. And the, there's cops down below, and they start to shoot at him. And the, the cops are saying, uh, Look, it's that madman who's been ripping up the city. But where's Daredevil? We can't worry about that now. Nail him. And they're wearing, like, uh, armor. It's like SWAT gear and all that. And, and Hogan is kind of accidentally deflecting the bullets with his mace because it's weird that way. Anyway, uh, Hogan picks up a, a police car, and he says, Stand ye back, demons. None may keep me from completing my sacred mission. If Hogan fails, then Asgard is surely doomed. And he throws the police car for no apparent reason and wrecks it all with a crunch. And we shift back to the rooftop where we see Daredevil crawling out from underneath the collapsed brick wall. And uh, he's thinking to himself, huh, managed to twist just enough to save myself from being crushed, but every bone in my body hurts and hurts bad. Now that's bad grammar. It should say hurts badly, but anyway... According to my radar sense, that mace-wielding misanthrope is still making a nuisance of himself. I don't think I'm in any condition to face him now. But no one ever said that swashbuckling would be easy. And he shouts out, uh, Heads up, hotshot! It's time for round two, because here comes Daredevil! And he grabs the same flagpole that uh, Hogan was swinging on earlier, and he uh, swings and he bounces off this big awning, and he rolls himself up into a, a ball. And this is the kind of thing he does in his own book. He bounces off, he rolls into a ball, and he rams into um, Hogan with a batham. And at the, at the same time, he's thinking, this flagpole will help me swing into the proper position so that I can hit the awning, which I sense below. Made it. Only a blind man or a lunatic would even attempt a stunt such as this. And he knocks into uh, Hogan, and Hogan shouts, Be thou mad creature! Hast thou not already received enough pain and punishment by my hand? And Daredevil goes uh, running off, and uh, I guess he's hoping that Hogan chases him. And Daredevil is thinking to himself, Gotta try to lure him away from the cops and toward that empty lot just ahead. Tone poop out on me now, playmate. Things are just getting interesting, he says out loud. I, 
I do not understand the meaning of your words, but the challenge behind thy taunting tone is clear, says Hogan. And he takes his mace and he whips it at Daredevil. Daredevil does like a, he just flops down on his face. The uh, mace misses him and smashes into a, a parked car with a spatask. And yeah, that, that's the end of that car. Daredevil is thinking, uh, sheesh, it's times like this that I wish I had Spider-Man's home phone number. After all, why should I have all the fun? And Hogan at this point has already managed to regain his mace, which means Hogan must move really, really fast. But anyway, Daredevil is getting up off the ground and he's thinking to himself, oh no, he's already retrieved his mace. Stay down, monster, says Hogan. No wish have I to stain my trusted weapon with thy inhuman gore. And he jumps up on top of a bus which has an ad on the back for the Mary Marvel Marching Society. So, yeah, that's the return of that after about 30, 30 odd years or something. Anyway, so um, we shift scenes and we are back at the power plant and Thor finds Quicksand and um, he whips his hammer at her, but uh, he misses and smashes the machines instead. And Thor saying, Surrender, woman! The god of thunder hath found thee at last. You're too late, Blondie. I've already accomplished everything I set out to do. You can't stop me now. And she um, blasting herself at him, and he's deflecting her with, uh, with his hammer. Within mere minutes, this entire power plant and everyone connected with it is going bye-bye. And uh, one of the scientists is like, What's she saying? I'm not sure, says one of the other ones. And Mr. Peters, the, I guess the manager, she, he's upstairs and he's like, oh, no, no, it isn't possible. And Eric, is, uh, Eric Masterson is saying, get a hold of yourself, Peters, and tell the rest of us what's happening. Somehow she's managed to bypass all of our fail-safe devices and has activated the nuclear core. This plant is about to become the biggest nuclear bomb in history. Now, I thought they said that this hadn't been activated. And it was like probably years, you know, months at least away from being activated. Normally they don't load the, uh, the fuel in until they're ready to activate it. So that's a hole in the plot. But, you know, hey, I've called it out and now we're going to ignore it. All right. So uh, Masterson is thinking to himself, my son. Well, what will become of Kevin if I die? And we go back to Thor and Quicksand, and she is trying to smash him, and he's dodging, and Thor is talking to her. Why, woman, why hast thou committed this heinous act? Think of the countless innocent lives thou hast endangered. I don't care about them or anyone else. I used to be a scientist. I was beautiful, but a nuclear accident transformed me into a freak, a monster, and I want my revenge. Thou speakest true, says Thor. Thou art a monster. But thy actions, not thy appearance, brand thee as such. Power such as thine is meant to be used carefully, responsibly. I don't care what you think of me or my power, Thunder Face, because you and everyone else within a 25-mile radius of this place will soon be dead, dead, dead. And Thor is smashing her with his hammer with a... Uh, the zash, which I guess is the sound that a, a hammer makes when it's hitting sand. And we shift scenes back to where Daredevil and Hogan are fighting. And Hogan is riding on top of a bus, trying to get away. And Daredevil swooping down and swinging towards him. And uh, Hogan is saying, uh, 
Odd's blood. The devil beast still pursues me. Why? Why? Maybe I just don't like your choice of headgear, Hotshot. After all, there's only room for one horn head in this city, and that's me. And I see what they did there, because, you know, Hogan has horns on his helmet, and so does Daredevil. Anyway, anyway. Um, he kicks him off the top of the bus with a thwock, and Hogan lands on top of a uh, taxi cab, which is right next to the bus. And it's the same bus, you know, the one that we saw earlier with the MMMS uh, ad on it. And uh, the cabbie's jumping out of the cab. He says, yo, I don't know if my car insurance covers anything like this. And his passenger's jumping out the other side. He's like, forget it, man, and run for your life. And Hogan is kind of crushing the car with a crump. And Daredevil is trying to fight him hand to hand. And, and he's thinking to himself, got to press my attack. Can't give him a chance to recover. But that doesn't do much good. And then Hogan gets a hold of Daredevil right by the, uh, the costume, kind of grabs the D on his chest and is kind of gripping him now. And Hogan says, enough, demon. Thine inhuman efforts aren't nothing compared to mine as guardian power. Cease thy futile struggle and I may even spare thy life. And Daredevil didn't like that, so he kicks him, pushes him back with a splack, and uh, Hogan is like, what? Still thou darest to fight back. And Daredevil says, why not? If this is really destined to be my last fight, I might as well enjoy it while I can. Thou art mad, demon, mad. It is most obvious to me that thou art on the verge of collapse, and still thou doth refuse to surrender. You kidding? I'd love to toss in the towel but I don't have one handy. That's the trouble with wearing a skin-tight costume. No pockets. And he's thinking to himself, wish I was half as confident as I sound, but he's right. I'm exhausted. Maybe some long-distance tactics will buy me enough time to catch my breath. And he whips out the, um, like the rope that uh, he swings with and kind of tries to uh, tie uh, Hogan's legs together. Hogan says out loud, Surely thou dost not hope to defeat me by binding my legs. Well, it didn't seem like a good idea at the time, says Daredevil, and he does seem to have uh, accomplished it and, and knocks Hogan down. And uh, Hogan is not real happy about that. He says, Bah, let there be an end to this mockery, here and now. And we then shift scenes, and we are back at the power plant, and all these people are running out of the uh, the power plant and screaming. And they're like, run, run, the whole plant's going up. We're all going to die. And everyone is, is kind of coming out of there. And um, Eric is saying, uh, this is madness, Jerry. We'll never escape the blast area in time. We got to try, Eric. Our families need us. Listen to the man blue eyes. Let's move, says Jackie. All right, Jackie. But I'd feel a whole lot better if I could find Sigurd. And uh, we shift to where Sigurd is, of course. And it is uh, the fight between, of course, Quicksand and Thor. And she has grabbed him by the face uh, and has got his face covered with her hand. And she's saying, thanks for providing the exit, Blondie. I like the way you knocked a hole in the wall with your head. Do not mock me, woman, says Thor. You still do not fully comprehend the true power of the son of Odin. Well, Lottie does, she says. I'd love to just stay and see more, but I'm heading south before the fireworks begin. I've already survived one nuclear accident, and I don't want to push my luck. And she goes uh, running off. 
Thor uh, doesn't want to chase her because he has to rescue everybody from the, uh, the power plant. And he says, uh, by the bristling beard of my father, my blood boils with the desire to pursue and defeat her. And yet my course is clear. And the, uh, the manager of the uh, plant is there. And he says, you can't possibly save us all. How are you going to decide who lives and who dies? How? How? Be silent, mortal, says Thor. God of thunder knows what must be done. And the caption says, Without another word, the mighty Thor begins whirling his enchanted mallet until it is moving faster, far faster than the mortal mind can conceive. Then with a powerful shrug, he sends it whipping around the power plant, its speed increasing by the microsecond, increasing, increasing, until it finally transcends the boundaries between time and space. So basically he's doing his Ajax White Tornado trick on the nuclear power plant. So hopefully he's not dropping it on top of on top of the Rainbow Bridge or something. But anyway, the guy's saying, I don't believe it. The entire building is vanishing. I, my magic hammer, hath opened a dimensional seam and transported yon building, foundations and all, to some distant dead world. And it, we see that it's on a planet. So it looks like it's uh, orbiting a gas giant. or it's, it's basically Kirby space, so it's kind of hard to tell. But anyway, uh, we get a giant explosion and some Kirby crackle, and it says, Foom! So, yeah, just like the MMMS reference. Here we have a reference to Friends of Old Marvel. So anyway, we uh, then shift scenes back to Earth and the big hole in the ground where the power plant used to be, and everybody is gathered around this big hole, and they're looking down. And we have Eric and and jerry and a jackie and other people too and somebody says uh, i am gonna i'm gonna assume it's jackie wow thor wasn't kidding when he said he included the foundations this hole must be a mile deep we were so close to death jackie's thinking if anything had happened to eric i no i can't even think about it hey where'd thor go in all the confusion says eric I don't know, Eric, but look who is here. Sigurd, we were worried about you, man. I appreciate your concern, Jerry. And, uh, and Eric is thinking to himself, is it only coincidence that he reappeared after Thor vanished? I wonder. Yeah, because it isn't immediately obviously that he is a huge guy just like Thor. Anyway, um, we shift scenes now. We are back at the battle between Daredevil and Hogan. And I think that this might actually be the most sustained team-up that we've had in a Thor solo comic because Daredevil's basically been in the entire issue. We've, we've had other team-ups before, but usually they've just been for like, like a few pages. Anyway, so Daredevil is kind of playing uh, hard to get here with, with Hogan and is just kind of keeping out of reach and making Hogan work for uh, you know anything he does. And he's thinking to himself, Gotta keep leading him away from the downtown area and toward the river. Stand fast, demon. Stand and fight, says Hogan. No way, pal. If you want me, you'll have to catch me, says Daredevil. Bah, you cannot escape me by fleeing in mindless panic. You dared attack Hogan the Grim. You dared challenge a warrior of Asgard. And he uh, rips up a uh, telephone pole from the ground and he whips it at Daredevil and he says... Now you must pay the ultimate price for such unsufferable arrogance. And Daredevil says, uh, he's thinking to himself, Swell, 
I could easily dodge that missile. But what about the people standing behind me? And there's nobody standing behind him. He's, it's, like, it's like standing in the middle of, of the street and there's nobody. So I don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, he is blind, but you know he has radar sense, so at least he should know. Uh, but there just happens to be a woman there, so I don't know. It's like you see her in the next panel. Anyway, uh, he says, only one way to handle this. Got to leap forward and push off with enough force to send it spinning away from the crowd. And he does, but it still kind of gets sent towards somebody. And it's this woman with a purse and kind of a very unfashionable sort of dress. But anyway, um, it goes spinning off and she goes, ee. And, um, and Daredevil's thinking to himself, oh no, I didn't hear that woman's heartbeat and all the confusion. And I accidentally sent it hurling towards her. And Daredevil kind of dives and uh, pushes the woman out of the way. But at the same time, he gets whacked by the, uh, uh, the, the pole and he gets knocked down to the ground. He's laying there stunned and Hogan comes up to him and he says, uh, the devil beast thou art. Thy noble sacrifice shall not go unrewarded. I will spare thy life, as long as thou dost not attempt to follow me. And Hogan jumps on top of the uh, Roosevelt tramway, uh, which is kind of like a cable car, that, and all the people who are, were on the tram are, are running off. It's everyone off the tram, hurry! And you got police officers, and they're, again, they're in their armor, SWAT gear sort of thing. And uh, they're, uh, they're kind of taking aim at Hogan, and they're saying, uh, look, he leaped atop the tramway to Roosevelt Island. He really outsmarted himself this time. Open fire. We can't let him escape. And so all the police are opening fire, shooting at Hogan. And we see their bullets uh, just smashing up this, um, this Roosevelt cable car thing. And they're saying, we can't let him reach the island. And they see Hogan falling onto, uh, into the water. And they're like, we got him. Yeah, he never had a chance. And Daredevil is there and he grabs onto one of the cops. And uh, the, the cop underneath the helmet actually looks a whole lot like Stan Lee. But I don't know if that's supposed to be uh, deliberate or not. And Daredevil's like, oh no, no, what have you done? And we shift scenes for the last few panels back to Asgard, where we have a scene in the vizier's office. Balder and the vizier are there, and the vizier is saying, My lord, come quickly. What is it, vizier? says Balder. The flame. It burns no more. There can be no doubt, my lord. Hogan the Grim is dead. To be continued. And that is Thor number 393. And of course, we're going to be talking about the issue as we always do. But first, we're going to have a message here from one of our friends. And I don't mean Ron friends. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, Five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. Why do you 
you always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? And we are back. And of course, I do have a few things to say about the issue. A lot going on in this issue. And again, you know, that's kind of what we get with these older books. We got a lot of stuff going on. So we've got our main plot. This is Thor versus Quicksand. There's some big plot holes here. And I've kind of pointed one of them out already. And that is that the author really doesn't know how a nuclear power plant works. Doesn't understand... You know, I, I'm not going to harp on it too hard because you can't expect a comic book writer to necessarily know everything about everything, but you would at least expect him to know if he's writing a story about a nuclear power plant that they don't keep the fuel in the power plant before they activate it. I mean, they, they put the fuel in right before they activate it. And if it's not planning on being activated anytime soon and they don't know when it's going to be, there's certainly not any fuel in it. So that kind of renders your main threat a little bit meaningless. Again, I'll say it's before the internet, before Google, it wasn't something maybe that he could, you know, research as easily as you might think but still it took me out of the story because it was nonsensical kind of the way it was working more interesting i think is the fight between hogan and daredevil even though it's basically just rock'em sock'em i mean it is basically your marvel fight scene but the the circumstance is interesting and i, I hope they don't drag it out for another issue but it really is interesting to have you know, Hogan not in his right mind. He thinks he's fighting this devil demon thing. Uh, and that's okay. That, that's actually kind of an interesting take on it. And, you know, obviously Hogan's not dead because, you know, we, we have him in, you know, 100 issues from now. But uh, it's still, I find it to be uh, kind of the most entertaining part of the issue. Um, like in the art, for the most part, it, it is kind of uh, wonky in places. There's this one one page early on where we have uh, this uh, Asgardian youth run into the room, and uh, I forget his name, Valdor, I believe it is. He's kind of he's bringing a message for Balder, and Heimdall is holding him up. So it looks like he he burst through the door and then he practically collapsed, and. Heimdall grabs him and looks in the picture like Heimdall is trying to strangle him. <laughs> the other thing I didn't like is I didn't like Heimdall's hair. Now, we've seen Heimdall without his helmet a few times before, and it didn't look like this. This reminds me, for all the world, like Big Bear from the Forever People. So, whatever, you know. Um, Enchantress. Was she not still evil during this time? I know that they kind of moved to rehabilitate her a bit when Simonson was on the book because that's what Simonson did. So maybe that's just kind of a continuation of that. But to have the Enchantress really playing an active part in helping the good guys solve their problem is something I'm not used to seeing. But I guess in a sense that it, it can make sense. I like the fact that the vizier is appearing exactly the way that John Buscema has always portrayed him. He's kind of a character that I identify very strongly with the post-Lee Kirby era when Buscema was mainly doing the pencils because he obviously Buscema designed him. He's, he's just that that stereotypically a, a Buscema character. Um, 
The uh, inking, I think, is really good. I remember I complained a little bit about Milgram's inks last time. Brett Breeding is a really good match for for Ron Friends. I think that uh, you know the two of them work extremely well together. Daredevil looks great. I think uh, that's one of the the highlights of the issue for me is you know they've got uh, you know, the character of Daredevil. Uh, both Hogan and Daredevil look great, but they don't look like they should be fighting each other. And and this is one of those oddball you know, pairings for a fight that, that you wouldn't expect to see. What circumstance could you possibly have where Daredevil would be fighting Hogan the Grim? Well, we know now, you know, because cause it's actually happening in the issue. So all told, I would say it's a, a fairly, uh, fairly good issue, well told, well drawn. Uh, you know, the art looks good. The inks look good. Um, they definitely are playing up the size of the Asgardians. I think that uh, Ron Friends really likes to, to make it clear that the Asgardians are bigger than human. However, Sigurd Jarlson is not as massive as Thor. So not really quite sure what's going on with that. It should be immediately obvious that, that Jarlson is just as big as Thor. And we, we see Thor here uh, on page... Um, looks like page 10, where he's talking to the uh, plant manager. And it looks like he's at least, you know, eight to 10 inches taller than he is, which would make sense because of, you know, Asgardian and all that. But when you get to the end of the episode, where you have Jarlson come back, and he's standing next to Jerry, who we've seen is shorter than the plant manager, he's just barely taller than Jerry. So I don't think that Thor can make himself shrink. I know he can make his hammer shrink in the midst, but I don't know if he can make himself shrink like that. So it's not altogether convincing, but it's still, you know, like I said, it's fun, so I'm willing to ignore it. Other than that, I think the story is reasonably well told. Um, I do enjoy the uh, Mighty Marvel Marching Society reference and also the uh, reference to Foom. So, yeah, uh, I think that uh, DeFalco wasn't fooling anybody with that. All right, and that being said, I think it's time to wrap up the show. Hey, once again, folks, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, if you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address, you want to write to this address, if you can email us, radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also find us over on the Facebook and uh, join the conversation over there. Just look for Radio Free Asgard over there, and you're going to find us. Because we're the only one. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, such as it is, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>